welcome to season three of Sundays with Wendy. This season, we take you back to the beginning, sharing the inspiring story of Benjamin Goldberg. Follow along through our mother's lens, the journey that presented an intriguing perspective on life and death. The story is also the heart of our work at the Benjamin Goldberg Foundation. Thank you for listening. To learn more, visit BenjaminGoldbergFoundation.org. Episode four, Scans and Plans. We left off finding out how Ben thought a Daft Punk song would be a better way to cope with the new norm of living with cancer. Ben had made a special friend with the doorman. Leaving the grocery, there were huge white flakes in the air. The wind swirled, threatening our bags. On the curb, Ben said, Mom, we can make it. I'm up for the challenge. It was three blocks back to the apartment. Like any cold, snowy day, you could see your breath in the air. I shuddered the brrrr whistle out of my mouth to keep us warm. The green canopy of the building was in the distance, and he came into focus, dressed in a long black coat and hat, attentive by the door. His arm reached for mine. Miss Wendy, I will carry him up. Please come in, I asked, but he excused himself. I'll be right back. Moments later, there was a knock at the door, and he stood with a full smile. He shared that he was so touched by his experience with Ben that he started volunteering his time at a local hospital. He handed Ben a $100 bill. I want him to buy a present for himself and his parents. I was not famous for taking many pictures due to messing up a tender moment, but I had to have this one on record. Shopping for the holidays, I spotted a beautiful shearling scarf. It was dark, smoky gray in color. The winters were hard in New York. I bought it for him and wrapped it around the frame of the photo I took of them. The same winter, there was an invitation to go back to school. Replaying what the doctors had said, his cancer was aggressive, and they unrolled a year-long plan that was more so. We decided that he skip kindergarten. He walked into class, then in appearance, his features more pronounced. A child yelped, Ben, you look different. Greeted with a high five or two, I saw him uncomfortable with one hand on his torso. Not that being bald and sick was enough. He had the worry of his ostomy bag oozing out in front of his friends. I heard the same kid again. Why are you holding your stomach? It brought out an edginess in me. Luckily, Ben's motion was only protective. We walked out of school that day with a respect for our delicate lives. It was what they could not see that had a hold over us, maneuvering in some realm, waiting the next treatment, the next scan, the next part of our lives to live. His weight was alarming. I would cook whatever he wished for, only to watch him barely nibble. The six rounds of chemo had taken their toll, and the hours online garnered one choice. I couldn't say it. Um, the doctor must have seen my undeveloped question about medical marijuana. Wendy, I'm a Baptist preacher's wife, and I'm okay with it. Reluctantly, I placed the pink bubble-shaped pill in with the six others for him to take. The effect was nil, no paranoia, late-night snacking, or constant laughter. A week later, I saw the bone color of the plate at the end of a meal. My plates were neutral. Other patterns and colors camouflaged the very nutrients that presented. His appearance had morphed, and I had to hoist from my memory to recapture the day at the park. He had fallen with bloody skid marks on his knees and the remains of rocks embedded in his palms. As I bent down, he was topping half my body weight. Sweetie, you have to get up. Mommy can't lift you. Now, 20 pounds lighter, he looked like a pterodactyl breaking out of its egg. It must be the reason he held the extra weight to begin with. When I carried him, his legs hung down past my knees and I could feel the vertebrae of his spine with my bare hand. He asked me for months, mom, will you carry me around? I took every opportunity. The weeks and months trailed on. It was Valentine's Day, and my heart pounded. My parents had been with Ben during his latest EKG. The technician performing the test asked if they wanted a printout. 
As I opened the box, there was a framed photo of his heart and the loving handwritten words, my heart belongs to mom. Mom, I picked this out for you. He stood with a gift in his hand. It was a glass bucket filled with sand, shells, and broken pieces of glass and a candle named sun and sand. I had secretly wished to be on a beach somewhere. Thoughts can take physical form. We received some good news. He could have the ostomy reversed. I booked tickets for the train. The Northeast Quarter route began each day in Norfolk, so we had our pick of the brocaded seats. Our luggage was stowed, and we found ours closest to the cafe car. Like most trips, the last hour was the longest, and I asked myself, like a child in the backseat of a car on a long trip, are we there yet? I pointed out to Ben, look, can you see the buildings? Then everything went black as the train went underground. The concrete was smudged with dirt, and there was a dust trail from the departing and arriving trains. You could feel the nervous energy as your feet shuffled towards the exit. There was a scream. We were halfway up the escalator when people started to tumble on one another. Bags were spilling about. Poor Ben. I grabbed him, shielding his port. At the top, there was a woman unwilling to unyoke herself from her water bottle, the reason everyone fell. The next morning, unsteady from the residual motion of the train, we strolled to the hospital. I noticed the empathy on a man's face when he saw Ben. Our eyes met. The feeling was so powerful. It took me back physically. At the hospital, standing in the elevator, I noticed a boy. After exchanging pleasantries, I learned the same disease preyed on him. There was no right or wrong thing to do, and I decided to ask, how are things going? His mother appeared unflappable. None of the treatments have been effective, and we are going home. But there are other things they can do, she said. The interaction left me annihilated. All I could think in that brief instant was how far we had come. You would gaze around the clinic and see the representation of nothing short of the world. An Israeli boy with long ringlets hanging to his shoulders, a woman from France in communication with an interpreter, a family from Greece finding their way. Cancer knew no socioeconomics, no race, no geographic region. It didn't care that much. The space held a glassed-in playroom with a mosaic backdrop. The surrounding area had dozens of brightly colored chairs and couches. Children were playing inches from their IV poles. The inpatient hospital was on one side and the day clinic was on the other. The critical cases were on gurneys going from one side to the other. But there was chaos under the order. That morning, a mother with her head in her hands came out from an exam room. Barely able to stand, she collapsed, weep. I could only imagine what news she had received. Frozen in my stance, it was my insides that ran amok, wanting to go up to her and hug her. But I did not. I withdrew. How would she receive it? Then there was shame for not going over to her, pretending I never saw it, because it could be me next. The unending effects were part of my life, pulling from reserves I didn't know I had. I twirled the frayed ends of my scarf while the surgical team sent medical words out into the room. They were also going to replace the lines with a port. No, I want to keep my tubies. With his tubes running through his bony fingers, he had become attached to them. Those lines had supplied all the medicine that had helped heal him. He begged again, please don't take them out. The doctor was wordless. I reached for any explanation that came up. The new port would be under his skin, much safer. He could take a shower and swim this summer. I stole the doctor's glance and winked. Let's do this. It was then his head was in my hands, watching the anesthesia move down the lines. We squeezed in some fun and outside the apartment door, I felt an open stare. My eyes dropped. I was in a black turtleneck and a pair of gray flowing pants that softened in color as they brushed the ground. It was likened to the ombre shade of my hair. A man passed by, but turned around. You look awesome. What a fresh breath of air in the city. 
I flashed him the peace sign. Heading downtown to the toy store, budding yellow tulips were filling the sidewalk gardens on the street. Greeted by two real-life soldiers, it was enchanting. The entrance looked like a color explosion from candy overflowing the shelves. I smiled, eyeing the Zoltar machine from the movie Big. Two dollars, and two minutes later, two yellow cards fell from the tray. I read them aloud. We laughed at its charm, the fortunes vaguely depicting a person. One could read any card that dropped and spin it into an aspect of themselves. Or maybe we are mirrors of each other, a reflection of this life. Whether it was a fall of a fortune card, a telepathic nod, or other transfer of information, it was without words we continually asked each other, are you okay? And then there were times it was less clear. Grabbing coffee at the checkout, he reached for a CD of that year's Grammy nominees. I put it back on the rack. Then in the likes I had never seen, he was kicking and screaming. I wanted to take him to the bathroom, but the rectangle space on the door read occupied. He was still angry. I pinned him up against the wall. It was a beastly scene, him on a backpack of fluids. He calmed down and I turned inside, not wanting to have a monster when all of this was over. We were forewarned he was going to get a fever. His dad took him off that Saturday to Coney Island to ride the roller coaster. I mulled over the fact he was neutropenic with no immune system and ran to get the thermometer. It read 99.4. I called Taylor next door and seconds later, she was standing with two in her hand. We tested all three. I had no choice. It had been drilled in us. If he ever got a fever, drop everything and go to the hospital. I grabbed to put him in the stroller and he began to cry. Bending down to his level, eye to eye, I said, Ben, listen to mommy. You have a fever and I can't take care of you. We have to go to the hospital. Taylor helped me quickly gather our things. Waiting on a taxi, he began to shout out, I want a good taxi and a driver that speaks English. No part of this was easy. Arriving on the Pete's floor, I looked through the locked doors and rang the bell. A doctor was sitting at the station, pummeled on the glass. My voice reached higher than the buzzer. We were quickly taken to the after hours clinic, settled in a room with an IV drip of antibiotics. I was lying in bed with Ben. It was not seconds later he started shaking. Two doctors rushed in. He was now convulsing. A voice yelled, increase the fluids. The rate of the infusion read 999. Dripping faster, his fever was spiking again. I covered him up in blankets, moving closer in hopes the warmth of my body could help. His vitals regulated. I awoke to the nurse who softly said, we have a room ready. It was two o'clock in the morning. I was disoriented, but it didn't take long to know exactly where I was. The scent of cleansing agents had become all too familiar. They informed us the floor was on lockdown due to an outbreak of the neurovirus. We were accustomed to wearing yellow thin paper gowns that tied in the back and a pair of periwinkle gloves when we went in his room. Used to the medical garb, it was just the crackling sound that made for an unpleasant night's sleep. It could be a week or longer for his numbers to come up. Sifting through emails in Ben's room, I heard voices at the door. We were getting a roommate. He was a teenager and so quiet, I forgot he was there behind the curtain. Ben was asleep. And later, a voice came from the other side. Can you keep the lights down? For sure, I said. And I flipped the three-way switch controlling the lights over the bed. I became small in the dark, left only with the pixels of light from my computer screen. The days trailed on and each felt like a never-ending groundhog day. Ben felt good and we split the days. I stayed at night and his dad during the day. Broadway in 68th, as I sat in the cab, I could count on the mist to enact a heave. The blend of cheap cologne, body odor, and urine glommed onto the bottom of my flat. The night's attempts at sleep left me sluggish, crossing the park to the west side most days. I would walk in and crawl into bed, the queen mattress set flush on the floor, 
The denim bedding covered the indentions for my last night's rest. I spent the hours after a nap doing laundry or sitting in the sauna, but the priority was work. Late in the afternoon, I would rally, pack up for the night ahead and call in for takeout. There seemed to be no end. I was stiff from the hospital bed. My muscles ached. I Googled hot yoga near me. The first hit was a studio blocks away with a gray mat and matching towel under my arm. I walked towards the flag waving from the second floor of an old brick building. The room was another flight up and held fans at each corner to dry the damp floor. The balmy and boxy area held mats laid out too deep. The sliding glass doors in the distance were ajar. Seemed like the best spot for some air to flow. The instructor announced herself and closed the doors. It was getting hot. The class description read 105 degrees. She asked if there was anyone new and with singularity, I raised my hand. Standing in the first position, I checked my radius. A drop of water hit my face. It was the yuck factor, the perspiration of the guy next to me. The level of concentration was so strapping. You were asked not to leave the room. It was tribal. In a pose, if one fell out, others would follow. It was halfway through when the instructor headed for the window. Ah, she opened the pane halfway, but it was only enough to tease us with a light breeze. Out of only pure vanity, I was going to finish. 90 minutes later, I stood blood red in the face, recovering in the locker room, but I felt amazing. A few days later, I tried it again and again later that week. How could I be any good to Ben if I wasn't okay? We had been in the hospital for 10 days, akin to the same walls, and I resorted to begging. The nurse practitioner knew how frustrated we were. If you don't tell anyone else, you can walk downstairs. We high-fived each other walking down to the gift shop twice that day. The next morning, the nurse reported the numbers were up and credited to his walk. Well, if I had known that, I would have had him marching in place. The trip was ending with one more day in clinic. The big news was a film director was coming with a newly released animated film, Peabody and Mr. Sherman. The kids were sitting in folded chairs in a long row facing the TV, wearing oversized black rimmed glasses and cherry red bow ties. Collaged in with the others, I saw Ben with his arm raised high. How did you come up with the idea for the movie? Facing unwritten parental code, desperate for him to be a kid, the other half of me didn't want to be late for a procedure. He was having scans and a bone marrow biopsy. We pulled him away not to be late. Having intel of the innermost workings of the hospital, things were tame when you showed up on time. In the ivory room, I sat in a chair and Ben plopped in my lap. He began with this drill of demands before he let a nurse get within a foot of him. Number one, are you careful? Number two, how many kids do you access a day? Number three, how long have you been doing this? And number four, the inappropriate one, how old are you? She smirked. I winked as a warning. He jumped up and lurked behind the curtain. What are you doing? I took him in the center of my body. My feet were like manacles over his legs and my arms tight around his chest. The girl at the front desk came back and watched. You should teach a class on that, she said. Sure, my life's mission to help parents coerce their kids. Watching your child's posture go from upright in life to hunched and surrender. I wanted to give him something to look forward to on our next trip. Scrolling the list of Broadway shows, the School of Rock caught my eye. He was not amused. The body scan moved around in sections above him. From behind the machine, I noticed tears in his eyes. The closer I got, there was no obstruction. I nodded to the tech. This is behavioral. He's fine. Teetering on the table, he yelled, you got tickets to School of Rock and I want to go to the Nintendo store. It's good to know we had reached a new plateau. He had more dominion than I was willing to admit at the next procedure. With a huff, he stood on top of the table. I don't want to have a bone marrow biopsy. Show me all your supplies first. The room was set up for a quick rotation of non-operation procedures. 
In a state of awe, I watched the doctor patiently unmold each of the instruments from the blue paper on the sterilized table and explain each one step by step. The doctor leaned into me. We always want an advocate for the patient. Typically, it's not the patient. We laughed. I had something called scanxiety. It was a mix of feels. Hope turned into fear. Fear led to desperation. Desperation into anticipation of joy. And if, and only if, the results provided. It eased the process, calling it scans and plans. We found out the scans were good, no evidence of disease, but it left ambiguity. There may be undetectable disease. The doctors did not like to use the term remission for it was way too confident. The plans called for a new treatment over the next few months and hopes to keep things at bay. My blood suddenly ran slower and cooler. With my right arm in the air, it was a parking lot on York Ave. The rows of cars lined as I looked first uptown, then downtown. Ben saw my frustration. Mom, give it up. Let's go to first staff. He was right. It would be easier to get a cab there. The apartment lease was up for Taylor's family at the end of the month. My eyes looked around, immersed in the space that had become our home away from home. The vulnerability was still in the walls, the days and nights holding us together. I couldn't have imagined doing it anywhere else. Stay tuned for episode five, Antibody and Reprieve, where Wendy and Ben explore integrative medicine.